My name is Adam. I'm glad you're here. I say that to those that I can see, or that I can see half of your faces, and for those online that we can't see, we're glad that you're here. I say we can't see you. If you are watching and you're watching on social media, if you haven't said hello in the comments, say hello. We want to see you. We, we do see you. We notice you. And we're glad that you're part of us and we're glad that you're with us today. Today, in the Christian calendar, is Palm Sunday. It's the day when we celebrate when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And it's the beginning of an epic week. In all four of the Gospels, this day is recorded. Jesus rides in on a donkey. And there is this moment where a huge crowd gather and they sing and they celebrate Hosanna, it's, it's him, it's the son of David. It's everything that we've been waiting for is here. And there's praise and there's glory and there's celebration. But it's actually a kind of shallow occasion and a shallow crowd because many of the voices that were singing and celebrating one day in a few days' time are going to be saying, crucify him. So we see this exuberant celebration and then there is this deserting of all including the disciples to follow. It's a weird twist. As we approach Resurrection Sunday, I want us to be present in all the moments. I want us to not just rush to Easter Sunday where we celebrate the resurrection. I want us to be present and I want to consider. So today, as part of this series we've been looking at who Jesus is, I want to look at the importance and the significance of this week that leads to Good Friday. And the sacrifice that Jesus made, how it fits in Jesus's context, how he was explaining the occasion and what that means for us today. So I want to journey into this and I'm using the title, the idea that Jesus is sacrificing himself for me and for you, for us and for all. It is ever increasing. It begins very personal. It's me. It's you. It's us. It's the disciples, the smaller gathering in the room. And then it's it's all. And I want to look at this together. We, like the disciples and the followers on Palm Sunday, we have freedom to choose. We have freedom to sing enthusiastically one day and we have freedom to walk away a few days later, which was this event. We live in a world of consequences. And all of the choices that we make have consequences. And this is the way God ordered society. It's risky. It doesn't always work. But it is freedom. God loves us and invites us to love him back. But he doesn't force us. It's freedom. And we have freedom to choose. And there are always consequences. Sadly, this week and in recent weeks, we've learned of choices that people have made and the consequences of their decisions. In Jesus' day, this happened. The utter evil, the people that said nail him to a cross, evil is still prevalent in society today. Two weeks ago, last week, we learned of 
atrocities towards Asian Americans and the evil. Well, there's freedom of choice and there's consequences. This week, a shooting in Colorado where there's evil, where people have freedom to choose, but there's consequences. I do intentionally name these events and label them as evil. We lament. We look forward to a time when the kingdom, which means the rule and the reign of God, fully comes And we don't hear these stories of evil. In the last book of the Bible, a book called Revelation, we read that there will come a time where there will be no more evil, no more racism, and no more weapons. The consequences of this fallen world are heartbreaking. So it's appropriate that we pause and that we lament, we mourn, and we grieve. We pray as we see this prayer from this book, Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus, we need you. This nation needs you. The world needs you. And with hope we rejoice that the current reality is not the end of the story. Our hope is in Jesus. There are always consequences. And there's freedom to choose. This week, I received a letter in the, in the mail, and it was a letter that confused me. Uh, it was a letter that was inviting me to re-register my car. I looked at the letter, and I said to Sarah, I don't need to do this. I did this two years ago when I bought the car. Some of you that are more native to this land and know the way things are organized are sniggering at my dismissal of the, I don't need to do this. Let me explain my thinking because I'm not trying to be over-rebellious. And I'm also aware that there are two police officers who attend our church. And there are consequences to the freedom to choose. Uh, Where I come from, I was born in England. You register something and it's done. So when life begins, when a child is born, they are registered. And at some point, hopefully a long way in the future, when their life ends, that moment is also registered. We don't keep re-registering them along the way. So I've got the opportunity to pay some money to re-register a car that two years ago I registered. So in my mind, I don't need to do this. I came to work confused and told Tara the strange letter and the unnecessariness of it. She encouraged me that I should take notice to the letter and that I should check the glove box to see what documentation is in the car because if I meet one of the police officers that attends our church, he may be curious as to the date on the registration certificate. Out of interest, I did check the documentation and learned that a year ago, Sarah, who's more familiar with the ways of this land, registered the car, and we're all good, so we haven't broken the law. I use this comical story um, because there's freedom to our choices. And as we look at this familiar week to many of us, where we learn of the choices that Jesus made for you and for me, and for others. There is an invitation to respond and to join the story, and there is also a freedom to say, no, this is not for me. My warm encouragement to you is to step into the story. We're going to really dig deep into some of these texts. I want to encourage you to notice the subtle. Often, the subtle is the most beautiful. 
It's often the most important. Sometimes Jesus said things and they were blatant. Often they were subtle. Listen and pay attention. Lean in. Listen to the thing behind the thing behind the thing. Because there's something going on that's bigger than just the teaching, but it's the beginning of a movement. And a movement goes somewhere and changes things. And we are part of that. So, I want to say this to you. If the consequences of this fallen world are landing heavy on you, how can there be a God? Look at this. Look at the stories in the news only in recent weeks. I want to encourage you that this message is for you. If you feel personally broken by life or by situation, emotionally or physically, I want to encourage you that this message, this story, this act that Jesus plays out and invites us in is for you. And there's a third group of people that I specifically want to invite to lean in and listen. And it's the group of people who, to use a phrase that's very fitting to this land, would say, I'm all set. If you believe you're all set, and this isn't for you, I want to tell you, this is absolutely for you. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke 22, verse 7 to 20. And we're going to be looking at the story that is the Last Supper and what Jesus was doing, what he's still doing. We're going to be looking at some of it today and some of it on Good Friday in a few days' time. Luke 22, verse 7 to 20. It's going to appear on the screens behind me, and you can read it in your Bible as well. Verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He, as in Jesus, replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs or furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this And divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup. And said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So I want to step into this story. There's elements of the story that are very familiar, and there may be other elements that are not. So the story takes place in an event called Passover, which was a Jewish festival 
And it was an event that was full of stories and food and wine and prayers. And it was eaten in the context of community where there would be friends or family and they would all come together to celebrate this important occasion. Around the table, there would be one seat that was laid, a place that was laid for the meal that's intentionally empty. All the space, cups, knife, fork, etc., and an empty chair. And the idea of the empty chair is that the Jewish people were celebrating this event with a promise that this Old Testament prophet called Elijah would appear again. That he would join this Passover table, this feast, and Elijah, this prophet, this this mouthpiece of God, would prepare the way, would speak in a way that God is coming in form. He's going to come and be with us, and Elijah is going to be the one who's going to prepare the way. So they would lay this place, this empty seat, with this promise that he would appear. Before the event, there were some preparations that would take place in the home They would intentionally look in every cupboard and in every area of the kitchen and the pantry, and they would remove any trace of leaven, which for us, think yeast. Now, this is not because yeast in itself is wrong. Most of the year, they would cook and bake with yeast. But on this occasion, they would remove yeast because the yeast, the leaven, it represented sin, It represented the times in our lives when we make mistakes and we do things that we know we shouldn't do. And on this holy occasion, they had to remove all of that. It's quite an interesting symbol. It's quite an interesting element or a prop to be a representative of something, to represent sin. Yeast is small. It's subtle. It's tiny. But yet it has the potential to change the shape of everything. And for some of us, we know, and you may know now, that you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing. The Bible calls it sin. It's a, word that is, it's a word that's increasingly not popular or used in modern language. But the idea of it is very much popular in the modern world. And in this moment, there is this, we need to remove this. It's not fitting on this occasion. If, if you're doing things that you know that you shouldn't be doing, and you think, that's only small, it's only subtle, it's like leaven, it's like yeast. Be careful, because it can change everything. Now, the good news is, God doesn't leave us in the embarrassment of this occasion, but he offers redemption. We read on. The hands are washed We are familiar with this. We've washed our hands more in the last year than we probably have in the previous 10. Before the Passover meal, there would be this intentional cleansing and washing that happened. The empty seat that I told you about, about halfway through the meal, the Passover meal, there is a request that the person who's hosting the meal says to one of the children. And the request is, could you go to the door and open it and see if Elijah has appeared? The child would leave their place, would go to the door, and would open it and see that there's nobody there. They would return to the table with sorrow and make the announcement that he hasn't arrived. Only he has. The beginning of the Gospels, there is this prophet, this person, John, who's a unique character, which is a nice, very English way of saying, really kind of weird. 
And he explains himself as, I am the voice of one in the wilderness. I am the voice preparing the way. He's identifying as, I'm the Elijah that we've been waiting for. And later in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 11, Jesus said, he has come. And it was John. So for those of us reading this Passover occasion through the lenses of Jesus, we know that the seat isn't empty because God has intervened. God has stepped in. Some sadly have missed it. Some are invited not to miss it, but to see that God is very much at work. And then at the beginning of this Passover meal, there was a story. There was a question. The story is called the Haggadah. And it's a story that is triggered by a question from the youngest person in attendance at the meal. So often a young child. And the young child would say to the person hosting the meal, why is this night different from every other night? Which is such a great question. Why is this night different from every other night? And then the host would explain that this night is profoundly different. This is the night where we remember that there was a time when the people of God were trapped and stuck and life wasn't as it was meant to be. They were oppressed. Their experience was in a place called Egypt. But it isn't about the place. It isn't about the geographical location nor about the race or the culture. It's about the fact that they were living far from the way God had made them to live. And that there's this moment where God steps in and redeems them and invites them out of that scenario and to live in a better, newer one. Which is this event. That's the story of freedom and being set apart from God. And then the meal begins and there are a number of cups. Wine features frequently through this Passover meal. The first cup may have looked something like this. And the host would raise this cup, it would have wine in it, and they would say, Blessed art thou, Lord God, our King of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine. And that would be the first cup. Later on, there will be a second cup. The second cup represented the suffering of the people who hardened their hearts towards God. In the story of Passover, there is this Pharaoh and his people who harden their hearts before God. And in this second cup, and the cup represents joy, the wine represents joy, but there was an intentional moment where they would spill some of the wine of the second cup as a moment of intentional sorrow that we mourn that there are people who harden their hearts before God. And in this reacting of the occasion, and it feels fitting today, we celebrate and we sing God's goodness and that we've received hope and life and love and forgiveness. But we also mourn that there are people who have hardened their heart and that the God that's called them is not welcome. If you're in that crowd, make sure that today you do something about that to change. That was the second cup. And then some bread was broken. It's bread that's made without yeast. It's flat. And the bread is broken. And half of it is wrapped in a cloth. And 
then it's hidden. It's concealed. It's out of sight. And it's hidden with no one else seeing, the children especially seeing where it's gone. For them, it's lost. It's gone. They can't see it. And therefore, the assumption is it's not coming back. Remember that. And then we get to the third cup. This is an important cup. The third cup of the Passover is the cup of redemption. It is the cup that symbolizes the sacrifice. The original Passover, there would have been a lamb. And the blood would have been symbolic. The blood's been shed. And the wine looks like that blood. And the third cup is called the cup of redemption. It symbolizes the sacrifice that has been made that is the centerpiece of this feast. This cup is important. This is the cup that Jesus used. This is the cup after the meal, as we read in Luke 20. Luke 22, after the meal, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Covenant means agreement or arrangement. And Passover celebrated an agreement and an arrangement in history where God had intervened. And Jesus says, God is doing it again. So he intentionally took this cup, the cup of redemption, and said, this is the cup of my blood that is being poured out as a sacrifice for you. And it's the new covenant. That's the third cup. And then the last cup, the fourth cup, the end of the meal. We're on cup four of the wine. It means halal, which means praise. It means celebration. What God has done and what God is doing leads to praise. It's good news. Our story, our experience, this celebration is good news. Sometimes I've heard people talk about God in such a way which sounds like bad news with a back door. You're in trouble, but if you do this, it will be okay. This is good news. This is worthy of praise. This is halal. This is the fourth cup. We can't help but celebrate. You may be sitting there thinking, why are we learning all this Jewish Passover stuff? Jesus wanted to celebrate this. This was important to him. Because Jesus is reinterpreting it in a new way. And Jesus is the centerpiece of the occasion. Let me explain that further. Early Passovers were quick. They were eaten in a hurry. Over time, they extended. Now, on this occasion in Luke's gospel, we read that they're reclining on couches. They're resting. They're lingering. They're enjoying. They're drinking deep of the occasion. There is a future sense and a present sense. In verse 16 and verse 19, Jesus said, I will not drink of this cup again. I will not celebrate this occasion again until I do in in heaven, in my Father's kingdom. This is interesting. Jesus has explicitly made clear that he's about to die. And at the same time, he's saying, but it won't be the end of the story. I will drink again. There will be another feast. There will be another occasion. In some ways, the Last Supper is not the Last Supper because death is not the end of the story. For those of us that know and love Jesus, we are blessed with the promise of eternal life. We know that this life 
is short and we're just passing through. And if you don't know Jesus and you don't know if your life ended today where you're going, today is the opportunity to do something about that. Because as we see in verse 16 and 19, death is not the end of the story. And there's great hope for those who believe. We will eat again. So the bread and the wine are being offered in a subtle but yet familiar pattern. Jesus is interpreting the Passover as being fulfilled and reenacted. There is a new Exodus movement. Exodus means to desert, to exit the way we were and to enter a new way of being. A new land, a new realm of possibility. And Jesus is saying it's all coming true and he's the centerpiece. Now, the bread and the wine are offered in a very subtle way. Some of you may have noticed this. I encourage you to notice the subtle. They're reminiscent of the feeding miracles that Jesus performed, as documented in the other Gospels. Jesus took. Jesus gave thanks. Jesus broke it. Jesus gave it to his disciples. And then Jesus asked them to share it with others. In Luke 9, 16, we read the exact same pattern. Taking the bread and the fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke it. And then he gave it to his disciples and he instructed them to share it with others. This is the exact same pattern. Jesus is giving thanks because all good things come from God. He's breaking it. Symbolically, he is the sacrifice that's broken for us. He's giving it to you and to me. And he's saying, don't keep it for yourself. Share it with others. So why is this important? And where do we fit in? Luke 22, verse 17. Let's put this up. After taking the cup, he gave thanks. And he said, take it and divide it among you. This is why this is important, and this is what it means for you and me today. This occasion, Passover, both in the historical sense that Jesus honored, didn't dismiss, but then reinterpreted and replaced in a new, full way, was never meant to be enjoyed in isolation. We were made to be in community, as we see with the feeding miracles and reenacted by the activity of Jesus around this table. He wants you to receive it personally and he wants you to share it with others. We don't just receive on our own. And we don't just eat on our own. As a church, we believe that our greatest strength is that we are the people of God centered around God and joined together with each other. We're different. We think differently. There's some people that vote differently. But yet we're called to be one. That's God's desire. Jesus is the centerpiece and we're invited to a table where we're all together. We don't do this alone. We participate in community in what God is doing. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance means this, the effect of the recollection of the past 
for, pre- for past. The effect of the recollection of the past for present and future benefit. Let me say that again. The effect of the recollection of the past for present and future benefit. Do this in remembrance of me. What does it look like? It looks like Jesus offering it. The disciples didn't fully know what was going on. The significance and how loaded this occasion was with fulfillment, they probably worked out way later. I interpret and guess they sounded a little bit like us, where sometimes after the occasion you go, oh yeah, now it makes sense. At the time, there's no indicator in the story that they understood everything that was going on. This is what the word revelation means, something that was concealed, now being revealed or later being revealed in such a way that you can no longer unsee what you've seen. That's the effect of what Jesus was doing. But it starts very personally. Jesus says, this is for you. You is singular. It's individual. It's personal. Jesus knows you. Jesus knows where you are, what you believe, what you think. And he says, this is for you. I want you to take it. And then he says, I want you to share it with others. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want to make a comment that's fitting from a historical context of Jesus' experience and equally fitting from the world that we live in today. And the comment is this, religious restrictions. In Jesus' day, Jesus experienced considerable religious restrictions. There were people who created rules and orders and restrictions. You can't pray to God and call him Father. You can't do that on the Sabbath, even though it's good. You can't. Mix with that crowd or be in that place. Jesus experienced such religious restrictions that they killed him. It was the Romans that performed the cross, but it was the religious leaders that insisted upon it. Religious rules are so oppressive that they killed Jesus. Sadly, we see that sometimes today. And when I say these religious rules, it's rules that men, and I'm going to own this as one of them, have invented themselves, often to over-honor themselves and bring restraint for others. Rules that only ordained priests can do this, or only men can do it, or only in church buildings, in religious buildings. Those ideas are entirely unbiblical and made up by people. Men, often, there is no clue that the disciples were ordained priests. That hasn't happened. Now, I'm not speaking against that. I have personally studied and became and become one. And I can use the letters REV if I so delight and need to. But let's not take it too seriously because Jesus didn't and the disciples didn't. But they were instructed to participate and to do this in remembrance of him. The idea that it needs to be only men, not true. Women traveled with Jesus and were active participators in his ministry. The idea that it has to happen in religious buildings. 
If you remember the passage we read, they've got no religious building. They've borrowed someone's spare room. Let's not over-invent stuff that isn't there. But let's be faithful in what Jesus is doing. This week, my youngest daughter led me in a time of communion. She's nine years old. I felt the smile of Jesus. I felt the fulfillment of Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me. So I want to give a response and I want to give some encouragement. The first one is the encouragement of Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. Because this is being brought together in a way that will change you and will change us and will change all. Do this in remembrance of me. I started at the beginning and I'm going to end with the same comments. If the consequences of living in this fallen world are landing heavy on you because you're looking at the news or you're looking at your personal news story, your personal news feed, and you're feeling like, There can't be a God. I want to say to you that there absolutely is, and his name is Jesus. And come to him and receive what he has for you. If you feel broken, and we all do at times, Jesus is restoring and healing. And as the third cup symbolizes, sacrificing himself to restore you. And then lastly, and this is a tough group of people, and there's many of them, and we were all in this group once. If you think, I'm all set, you're not. The tragedy of this story is it points clearly to a moment where there's going to be a future feast, a future party, future joy and celebration, where there will be no more pain or evil because the old order of things have gone away. And the tragedy of this, as expressed by the spilling of the second cup, is some people miss it. They've hardened their heart and they miss what God is doing. Don't be in that crowd. So may your heart soften. And may you receive the gift that is being truly fulfilled in Jesus. Let's pray. And we're going to respond in in two ways. We're going to sing and we are going to participate in breaking bread and reenacting and remembering this occasion. But with your eyes closed, I want to pray. And I want to give an invitation because Jesus always gave invitations. If you either don't know Jesus, if, you, if your life was to end today and you don't know absolutely that you're going to be joining Jesus around another feast, then today I want you to do something about it now. Not, I don't want you to think about it and mull it over. I want you to do something about it now. And it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I... I recognize it on my own. I've missed the mark. Please forgive me. And please help me to know you. Not just to know about you, but to know you and to follow you. 
I'm going to pause for a minute and give you space if you need to pray that. And you can pray it in your head. I'm going to pause for a minute and I want to give you space to do that. you Jesus that you freely offer the ultimate gift without us having to pass any test to receive what you're doing and then for others of us Lord we don't want this just to be a religious ceremony but we want to co-participate in what you're doing Lord we want to receive the gift and then we want to learn from the pattern the model that we receive and we share it with others. Lord, may this story, this movement spread beyond ourselves. Lord, I pray for a fresh passion to do this in remembrance of you and not just to do it in the sense of reenacting an event, but because of reenacting and because of remembering, Lord, that we would do the things that you're calling us to do, which ultimately is to receive this gift and to share it with others. Lord, may this gift, this bread, this cup extend beyond ourselves to our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues. And Lord, may we do it frequently. Amen. Why don't we stand? There's two people that are going to hand out A cup which has some juice that represents the blood of Jesus and a wafer that represents the body of Jesus. Uh, We're going to receive it in joy. We're going to receive it as part of our worship. I'm going to encourage you to hold it in your hand. It's a representation of a gift. It's a gift that Jesus wants to give you. And when you're ready, take it. And we're going to sing. And we're going to receive it as part of our worship. Because the fourth cup, the halal cup, It leads to praise. That's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to receive this. And we're going to sing at the same time.